whisper it, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him whom my Father is in heaven. Just put that in context before we get to the text. True faith in Jesus, at the base level, is that you would not deny him with the threat of your own life. And if you were to deny him with the threat of your own life, he would say then you might not actually believe in him as he truly is. Now we could all falter and, and if we were put in persecution be weak. But that is what it means to be a disciple. That he is your life. There is, no, there is not one thing you could ever hold on to tighter around your fingers than Jesus. You would rather lose it all. Rather lose it all before you would lose him. Even your very life. And that's how he prepares his disciples to go. And so now he speaks about, if this second part we get to now does not make sense, we will have no strength to truly do the things he's called us to do. Because the things he's called us to do will be very hard. We have to know why he's doing this. And so verse 34, do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. Remove that thought immediately. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. And the one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And so there is Jesus describing his mission for his people. As he sends us out, he sends his initial 12 disciples out, which was only the trickle-down effect, as it's laid in into the text, if you accept these 12, you accept the one who sent him, Jesus. If you accept Jesus, you accept the one who sent him, the Father. It comes all the way down into our 21st century. If you can take these texts, which are apostolic, and you submit your life to the scriptures, you have brought yourself under a waterfall of God's graces and rewards and blessings, ascending all the way to the Father Himself who sent the Son, and the Son who sent the Twelve, and the Twelve who sent the Seventy. 
to us here this morning. If you reject this eternal gospel, you have no reward. You have nothing. You've removed yourself from the waterfalls of blessing that could fill your bucket immediately. And walked away into the dry wasteland of death, cursedness, and destruction. This is what he's doing. This is not just Jesus talking to his twelve. He is issuing a series of events and causalities that ripple into our present moment. We divide ourselves regularly. We are a divided type of people. We could divide ourselves by age or gender, ethnicity and race, which is really fashionable lately. We can increase our division by thinking about what do you like to do, what are your interests, or what are your aversions, what are things you don't like to do. We make divisions about ourselves that way. And then we would think, well, Jesus, meek and mild, Jesus as I think him to be, not as he really is, would never really want division. He wants us all to sing Kumbaya around a campfire. And Jesus said, by the way, don't think that. Don't think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I came to bring a sword. Many misunderstand Jesus as the Messiah, the anointed of God, and many, therefore, would misunderstand his mission. And if misunderstanding his mission, his purpose in this world, then you're naturally going to misunderstand what the church is all about. And then you're going to begin to make the church on the way you think it should be. And then we are in this problem we are today. And it is a problem. Our churches in this country are saltless. They produce very little change in their local communities. And I don't mean, and I'm not degrading soup kitchens and coat closets, but I mean the kind of thing that you can't do. Make unholy people holy. Make people who hate submitting their life to the Lord of glory lovingly, joyfully submit their life to the Lord of glory. That is hard to do. And so Jesus knows that. And doing that is going to cause a problem. These people are going to be killed for it. And so to prepare their minds for the difficulty of that, he says, remember, this is not all about peace. At least not yet. I am not sending you out to create peace in the world. Yet. You will create peace in the world through spiritual warfare and winning the battle. Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers of the air. All the thoughts that fill the minds of men and women. Whether they be coming from their own psychology. Or from the zeitgeist of their own philosophy in which they live. Or other spiritual demonic forces. That give them stupid ideas of our own free autonomy. And the lack of God's own lordship in their life. And that they think their life is within themselves. They live in these lies every day. And the church is to combat these lies. You will not be persecuted for starting a soup kitchen. You will be persecuted for saying that Jesus Christ is Lord. If they begin to understand what you mean by saying Jesus and the word Lord. 
And so he's preparing them for that. I did not come to bring peace on the earth. Now he has to say this because that is what the Messiah should be doing. The Messiah is called to bring peace on the earth. These are Jewish men and they understand if Jesus claims to be the Messiah. Zechariah 9.9 Behold, your king is coming to you righteous, having salvation. He's humble. He's mounted on a donkey. The colt, the fowl of a donkey. Kings riding on horses are going to war. Kings riding on donkeys are walking through a town in the middle of peace. Zechariah 9.9 The king, the Messiah to come, is riding a donkey. He's going to bring peace, which if you're saturated in the Old Testament, as these men would have been, would have connected so many dots. Isaiah 42, behold my servant whom I uphold, the chosen one whom my soul delights. I'll put my spirit upon him. There is Messiah anointed by the Holy Spirit. This is a messianic passage in Isaiah 42. I'll put my spirit on this man. Who is he? I don't know yet. It's a prophecy we're looking, but we know one thing, he'll bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out, he will not lift his voice, he will not be heard in the streets. Okay, seems very peaceful, passive. A bruised reed, he will not break, he's very gentle. If you are a bruised reed in society, if you are the outcast, the marginalized, what is good for a bruised reed? You can't even break it off and make a flute. It's a, it's a broken reed on the shores of a river. There's thousands of them. Throw it away. It's just a broken stick. But even those useless broken sticks, this Messiah will care for. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. A fire that produces no light. A candle at its very end that does nothing but smell. He loves it. This is our Messiah. He is meek and lowly. This is who is to come to bring peace to the earth. And of course, every time in Christmas is Isaiah 9, a child is born. He's given to us. The government shall be upon his shoulders. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. This Messiah should bring peace to the earth. And Jesus comes and says, by the way, don't think that I'm bringing peace to the earth. Because it's all about timing. I've heard it once said, the difference between salad and garbage is timing. That's it. He is going to bring peace on the earth. But not in this context. Peace only comes through victory and war. It has to be because we are at odds with God. It's not as though God can just create a united nations and just say, let's just try to get along. We are at enemies against a righteous and holy God. And he will have justice, and we will not get away. Therefore, you either have to submit or go to war with him, and then the peace comes. And so he's sending them out to claim his victory, to claim his lordship, and those who do not like it will not submit. And there will be a sword chasing these men all of their lives, and the sword will get them. All of them except John. And not only is the Messiah misunderstood, his mission is misunderstood. For example, when Jesus, beginning here in Matthew, sends out his blessings to all his disciples, he gathers them and describes his kingdom. And he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, because they will be called sons of God. You and I are called to be peacemakers because God is a God of peace. He does not like conflict. He does not like war. He is not evil. 
And we are to be, as part of his family, his sons and daughters, peacemakers in this world. To a certain extent. There is a part of the Great Commission that turns the world upside down. There is a reason the book of Acts is the way it is. The mission of the Messiah is to bring division. He says, I have not come to bring peace but a sword. Jesus creates division because he necessitates you, all of us, to be painted into one corner of our absolute ultimate commitments. And if you put anybody in that position, it is like backing up an animal into a cage. It gets very hostile very quickly. If the mind is pushed to that point, if the gospel was actually really preached to that point, not just the version of the gospel, but I mean the gospel that the apostles preached. It will push us all to say either he is Lord or he is not. To say Jesus Christ is Lord is the most controversial, divisive statement you could ever speak with your mouth. The reason people don't sense that, half in part because preachers don't preach this, but they don't understand two really important words in that sentence. Jesus and Lord. We could say Jesus is Lord. That's one way to say it. But if you don't know what I mean when I say Jesus... And you don't know what I mean when I say Lord. That benign statement might roll right over your mind. And it wouldn't bother you at all. But if we understand when we say Jesus, we are talking about the Jesus of Scripture. The one who is the eternal, holy begotten Son of God. Who commands atoms and oceans. And that he is Lord over everything. Every plate of grass, every plate of food that you ever ate, every shirt you ever wore, every job you've ever had, every breath you've ever breathed, every water you've ever drank. It's all his and he's Lord over it all. And everything you do with your thought life and your ethics and your, your practical daily living, like that is where it rubs, it rubs hard, it rubs very hard. When you start meddling into people's personal lives, two things happen. They don't like to be told what to do, and they're just now, at that point, beginning to understand the definition of the term Lord. Lord over everything. Everything. And that is why Jesus is saying, you will experience the sword for this message. They will not want you to say this. This is a boundary that Jesus is very happy to cross. It is an eternal gospel. The gospel is the heralding of this lordship now. And when that gospel goes out... It is an eternal gospel. It does not care about our world system. It does not care about your preferences. It does not care about our society. It does not care about our laws. It does not care about our politics. Jesus doesn't care about the Supreme Court. 
Jesus doesn't care about Congress, and he sure doesn't care about the presidency. He is Lord. In Revelation 14, the eternal gospel is proclaimed to all who dwell on earth. That every nation, tribe, language, and people. And the angel goes out in Revelation and says, Fear God. This is the variation of the gospel given. Fear God and give him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him. He who made the heavens and the earth and the sea. And even the springs of water that supply the sea and the oceans and the rivers. Before every nation was ever to pick up sword against another nation. Before any tribe or clan or family there ever was to have a family feud. Before there was gender conflict in the battle of the sexes. Before there was ethnic problems, ethnic problems. Before there was racial divides. God made it all. Job 34 says he sunk the bases, the foundation of the earth. He sunk the bases of these pillars that hold up the world down into the depths of the sea. He set the cornerstone of all creation on edge. He hewn the depths of the sea and shut the doors to lock the water exactly in the boundaries and places that he has designated. And then he set a spring in the garden. And he made man and woman. Before anything could ever be said to be law or jurisdiction or authority or power or kingdoms, it was God. That he started this whole thing. And so when Jesus comes into the world, he is coming into a world to take back what is his. And he does not care about our human boundaries or preferences. And so therefore the division says this, I have come to set a man against his father. A daughter against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A person's enemies will be those of his very own house. The gospel is cutting against all of these categories. The gospel of the kingdom, the citizenship of this kingdom in heaven, is the only citizenship that matters. Your family, your nationality, your ethnicity, and yes, of course, your race is absolutely 100% irrelevant. And we love talking about this stuff. The only thing that matters to Jesus is what you do with this gospel. See, the family that you have been given is nothing more than a shadow. You need to realize this. You need to realize this. The family you've been given is just a shadow. They are not your real mother or father. They are not your real brothers. This is a big deal. We do not idolize the family. We call God Father. Not because we think That we know what a real father is on this earth. And then therefore we project the idea of fathership up to God. Quite the opposite. What's on this earth are little images, shadows of what's called a father. They reflect the image of what truly is the father. The father. The creator. Now what is the family? Your family is really not the family. Your marriage will not last into eternity. 
your family lineage will be irrelevant in only a few thousand years. It's all examples of Romans 8, where the Holy Spirit gives witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and we cry out from the depths of our souls that there is nothing else more significant than our identity in this, is that we cry out, Abba, Father. This is where I go. He is my home. This is where I'm going when I die. That is my family. And so therefore, the sword will cut across all these lines. Because the one who sends the eternal gospel is drawing lines that will echo to thousands of years from now in which the real strata of creation will exist. There will only be those who are here and only those who are there. Only in the city of men and only in the city of God. Only in hell or only in heaven. Only goats, only sheep. And he will separate it all. And all of the stuff we bicker about, including race and social status and income and equality, will be a laughingstock. All that matters is Jesus. That's it. And it will cause a sword to preach Jesus this way. Maybe you've had the experience of this sword in your own life. Maybe you have come to know Jesus Christ at some stage in your life in which you have lost your friends. You have lost your previous social groups. Maybe you have lost family. Those in Afghanistan surely are. Those who come to Christ there, their own mother or brother or father will turn them in and they will be executed for turning away from Islam. This reality plays out today. It's like a question that we often ask and it gets down to your fundamental commitments. Maybe you've heard the question, no doubt you have. If you could go to a desert island, if you were stranded on a desert island, and then you say fill in the blank. Well, here's the question. If you were stranded on a desert island, what's one book that you would take? Right? Think of this. This is a thought experiment. This is what we do to say, what's your ultimate command? What really makes you tick? What's something you really like? And famously, uh, I think it was G.K. Chesterton said, why well, take a book on how to build a boat? Which is a good answer, actually. If you were doing that, to go on an island, what book would you have? Now, that's a funny little experiment. This is 100% real. Think of this question. Oh, I don't know. I'm just thinking hypothetically. If you were, I don't know, maybe stranded on an isolated planet. And you could only have one source of truth. What, what book would you take? What word would you have if you don't want to be bound to some idea of just a book? What word would you have? What message would you hold? What gospel would you believe? Because that's not at all a thought experiment. We are isolated on this planet called the earth. In scripture called the city of men. And we will have and have had an alien invasion. The Son of God has come. Mount Zion, the city above, will come down onto the city of men below. 
And every proclamation of the gospel was the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. Invading into the kingdom of men. The only reason you would ever want this gospel. That if you were stranded on an isolated world of sin and darkness and dirt and decay and death. And there was no God and you could not find him. And you lifted every boulder to see him. And you threw rocks up into the heaven and all there was was stars. And you're wondering, where is God? What is the purpose of my life? Why am I here? I am stranded on this desert island and I want God. Then you've answered the question appropriately. Because you are stranded on this planet. And he is not here to hold. Not yet. Not yet. So what book will you read? What gospel will you hold? To keep your mind from going crazy in this wasteland. The whole point of a desert island is you want to get off. To go be with other people. To go be in society. To go be where things are good. What if you could just entertain the obvious fact that this is not the good. This is not the life. This is not the way we were meant to live. There is more to have fellowship with God. And so it's protracted in all this poetic language of streets of gold and beautiful cities, a place that is not here. And if you were stranded as you are right now, and Jesus is not in this room in his body, what would you want? Here is our ultimate commitment. And here is the gospel, the eternal gospel that we preach. That this is how Jesus did his own ministry. In fact, these very things led to his cross. It was because of his pure love, because of his devotion, because of his surrender. His love for you to the cross, his devotion giving up even unto his very last breath, his life, and in his surrender to do the mission the Father has sent him to do into this world. Those things he accomplished, you would think, well, if Jesus came into the world, perfect righteousness, love, love, devotion, and surrender, surely his ministry would not be matched with violence and a sword and a cross. And that is exactly what it is matched. And he warns and says, no student is above his teacher. No servant is above his master. All you have to do to find the sword that Jesus is speaking of and the cross that he warns of is simply love like he loved. Love. Don't go and pick fights. By all means, we as Christians should be sheep. We should be doves. We don't want to fight. We don't want to argue. We don't want to divide. We don't want conflict. We don't want to hurt people's feelings. Not even their feelings. We don't want to do that. We are not looking for being hostile. If people find the gospel and they wrap something into it and they just like the fight, they just like to self-righteously condemn other people. There's nothing in that. All you have to do is just love them. Love them like Christ and all these things will come, Jesus says. The sword and the cross. So lastly, closing is where he says this. This is the amazing promise that he gives. If we were to love Christ, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not 
worthy of me. This is what causes discord. Love, devotion, and surrender. That's all you have to do to create discord in this world. Love of Christ, devotion to Christ, and surrender to Christ. You love Christ with all your heart. You're devoted to Christ with all your life. And you surrender everything to his feet. You will create tremendous discord in this world. The sword will come. Love Christ. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Do you come to church? And this is where I pastorally I speak to families all the time. Well, I need to get to church because of my kids. I need my kids to know about Jesus and I need them to have good morals. And up. Don't come. Do not come and try to idolize and worship your children on Sunday morning. Do you love Jesus more than your own son and daughter? The, the, the church infatuated with children's ministry. Children's ministry. We've got to get the kids here. Because the parents feel morally obligated to do something for the kids, even though they don't love Jesus Christ. And if they didn't have kids, they probably wouldn't be going to church anyway. And here Jesus is saying, whoever loves son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of me. You don't love me. Your children can get moralism somewhere else. Do you come to church on Sunday morning to worship Jesus? Devotion to Christ. Whoever will not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. To embrace martyrdom. This is the first incident of the whole Gospel of Matthew where the word cross is employed. They are just now catching a vision that this man they follow is anticipating a cross. Pick up your cross. This is the place in where slaves and rebels died a disgraceful death by execution. This is not a metaphor. This is not spiritualized as we do today. Oh, it's my cross to bear. It's my burden to bear. This is the cross in which Jesus will die, and they will as well. Pick up that cross and die to yourself. And finally, surrender to Christ. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Obviously the double meaning of life. If you hold on to your life, if you live it in such a way that you would not be willing to die tomorrow and the next day and the next day, then you're not actually living the Christian life. Now we can spiritualize that, but he's really meaning a real cross. If your devotion to the Lord, and it takes work, and these are very worthy of passages. This is a working type of passage. Put your mind at the feet of Jesus every morning. And be able. Think about all the other things in our life. You're fighting with your family. You're fighting with your wife. You're fighting with your job. You're fighting with everything. How about in the morning. On your face before the Lord. You surrender your very lifeblood to him. And everything else is different. That you would say today. If I had to. If I had to be on a cross for you, I would. This is his calling for us as disciples. Whoever receives him, receives the one who sent him. Whoever receives this message, receives the one who sent that messenger. Whoever receives a righteous person, will receive the reward of a righteous person. And that is exactly who we have in Christ. If we receive him, all those rewards that are showered upon him are yours and mine. Dear Father God, you are righteous.
And Lord, we surrender our life to your righteousness. Lord, we do not seek to find a vision. We do not seek to fight. We do not like hostility. We want peace. And we know you will bring peace. For you are the Prince of Peace. But we will not prove ourselves wiser than you. We will not alter our ministry or way of life or manner of walking or metaphor, metaphorical crosses. We will fight for peace with the tools you have given us. Which is, Lord, and we ask this now, a true spiritual transaction. Lord, that you would give us great love for your son. In this moment, Lord, we ask that you would give us greater devotion to your Son. And Lord, we ask that you would give us this great grace to have even more earnest, prompt, sincere surrender to your Son as you fill us with your Spirit and bring us here again to worship you throughout this weary land and throughout this week. In Jesus' name.